We welcome you to the service this evening. Beautiful songs, songs with meaning, songs that teach us about God, songs that teach us about His majesty and His power. Tonight I'd like to look with you at a story we find in the Old Testament that also teaches us about the majesty and power of God. It also teaches us about the heart of man, men in power and also men subject to those powers. But we see that God is in control no matter what. I believe last time I spoke on a Sunday night, we witnessed the plague of darkness. Tonight, hopefully, we don't see hell and fire upon the earth. But we're going to do our best tonight to um, look at Daniel chapter 3 and look at this life event in the lives of these three men and see how they endured this and hopefully we can gain some admonition for us and and learn about our the God we serve and also about mankind. Before we get to Daniel chapter three, I'd like to give some context. I'd like to begin in Daniel chapter one. Daniel chapter one, beginning in verse one. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, and some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the articles into the treasure of his God. We see here God uses Nebuchadnezzar, even though he is from a pagan nation, to bring judgment upon the nation of Judah because of their wickedness, because of their inability to serve God, even though He has revealed Himself to them and shown His power and His might and His love to them and delivering them from Egypt and fighting their battles for them, they have turned their back on Him once again. Now God withheld His uh, destruction and His judgment on this people several times. I think of Josiah and Hezekiah, kings that turned back to God. And because of their repentance and turning to God, God stayed His hand of judgment for a time. But yet, because of the wickedness of the kings that came after them, and the wickedness of the people of Judah, God sent punishment upon them. His patience finally ran out. So God blesses Nebuchadnezzar with success as the leader of Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar took several of the children of Judah captive back to Babylon. We see this in Daniel chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Now from those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. So this was a, this was a point of contention. This pagan king said, You will do just as I say, so that you will be learned, and you will have all the, the amenities of Babylon and you will know the knowledge that I have so that you can give me wise counsel. But the problem was submitting to this worldly king meant going against God and God's law of Moses and certain of the things that they were not to defile themselves to eat. 
And Daniel purposed in his heart, along with these others, not to defile themselves. And God blesses them because of their faithfulness. Even though the, the leaders of Judah were wicked, there were still many in that land that were faithful to God. So we see God delivers them from the hand of Nebuchadnezzar here, and they find favor in His hand because they have submitted to God in His, prom- in his teachings and His law. And so now we get to, to Daniel chapter 2. We see Nebuchadnezzar grows in power and might, and that he has a dream. And we find that in Daniel chapter 2, that it is in the second year of his reign that he has a dream. And his dream greatly troubles him. And he gives, and it troubles him so much that he wants to know what it means. But he does not want anybody to lie to him or to deceive him. And he tells them, you first tell me the dream, and then you tell me what it means. And of course, no man on the earth can do that, save God be with him. And that's what his counselors tell him. Nobody can do this. This is, you're out of your mind to expect one of us to do this. So with his power, with great power, often comes great rage and uh, anger when people do not submit to that power. So in a fit of rage, Nebuchadnezzar commands that all the wise men in the land, these wise men that have been nurtured and tried to be brought up to to be learned and give him counsel in a fit of rage, he says, destroy them all. Get rid of them. They can't do what I want them to do, so get rid of them. But God delivers this dream to Daniel. Daniel prays to God. Daniel says to The king's servant, hold on just a minute. Let me pray to God and see if He will deliver this to me. And God does deliver it to him. So Daniel, through the hand of God, delivers the dream itself and the meeting to King Nebuchadnezzar, all the while giving God the glory. As we look at the life of Daniel over and over, he could have taken glory for himself, but he didn't. He said, it's not me, it's God. And I believe God blessed him because of his humility. This is an um, artist's rendition of what the, the vision that King Nebuchadnezzar had. We know that this was a prophecy of the coming kingdoms. Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom being the head of gold. And the kingdoms that would come after him, ultimately culminating with the Roman Empire, and the rock that was hewn out without hands that smites the image on the feet and it grows into the whole world. We know that is the church. So Daniel tells the king, he says, this is what you saw and this is what it means. What was the king's response? In in verse 46 of Daniel chapter 2, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel, and commanded that he should present an offering and incense to him. The king answered Daniel and said, so just a few moments earlier, he said, have him killed. Now he's bowing before him and saying, offer incense to this man. He says, truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, since you have, could reveal this secret. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, And he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. 
Also Daniel petitioned the king, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat at the gate of the king. Notice how quickly the winds change. Kill them, set them in power. Make him a ruler in the gate of the king. Set these people over. We see how quickly man and the leadership of this world can change. But God stays the same. Now we get to Daniel chapter 3. The Bible doesn't tell us the time that lapses or the time that it goes, that takes to go from the end of Daniel chapter 2 to Daniel chapter 3. But here we see King Nebuchadnezzar is on a tear once again. And he's got it made up in his mind that he's got something that everybody's going to do. And if they don't do it, his wrath is going to come upon them. So we pick up the reading in Daniel chapter 1. If you would get your Bibles, I'm sorry, Daniel chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 1. We're going to read this chapter. And so here Daniel says, build this great idol. In our terms, it was something like 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. Huge. You could see it for miles and miles in this plain. Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and language, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. So at that time all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, and lyre in symphony with all kinds of music and all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore at the time that certain... Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and sultry in symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the fairs of the province of Babylon. Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods nor worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready at this time, you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. 
But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it usually is heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. And these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their ornament garment, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning, fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire, and the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks against anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made an ash heap, because there is no other god who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. You see the winds of change. We see, you see politics at work. We see kill them. We see set them up again. They were already administrators in the king's government. Now he says throw them in the furnace. Now he says put them back in power. We see the whims of man. And I believe we see that today in our society. We see that in politics. We th see that in our culture. We see that man is ever-changing. He has a whim one day, and the next day he says, no, that's not right, I was wrong, but now I'm right, believe me now. God is unchanging. God does not waver. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's where we need to put our trust and our hope. You know, we, we may be someone that has a position of power. We can't allow ourselves to be 
to put our faith and trust in that power, that position that we hold. Because just as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it can be taken away from us just as quickly as it was given to us. We need to put our faith and trust in God. We see our day, today our rulers are just as temperamental. They have a, an idea one day. The popular opinion goes against that idea. So now that was a bad idea. That wasn't even my idea. But now this is a good thing. And it changes one day to the next. So with this story in mind, I'd like to look, I would like to gain some admonition for us today and, and learn some things that we can see about God, but also about mankind. You know, I wonder if this was the image just in gold that Nebuchadnezzar had put up. You know, he had a, he had a dream about an image, and Daniel tells him this is this image, and this is a prophecy of what's going to come to pass sometime later. He says, build an image. Was he taking a variation of what God had revealed to him in a dream and setting it up as an idol in a vain form of worship, even though it had some maybe remnant of being tied back to something that God had given to him in a dream, but now he set it up? We see that today. People take a bit of truth, just enough to entice people, to convict people, and then they lead them astray and have them to worship or serve something other than the truth of God's Word. We cannot allow ourselves to be taken away like that. That's why we have to know what the Bible says. We have to know it in context. And we have to know how it applies to us. Satan himself, when trying to deceive Christ, used Scripture. So we cannot be deceived by mankind. The first point I'd like to make is make his people's values change. But God in His Word does not. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 24 says, For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower thereof falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. Now last time I spoke, we lived in a barren desert. The dust was blowing. There was, there was a haze of dust in this building because of the 70 mile an hour winds. It has rained an annual amount of rainfall since then, in just a few weeks. The grass is green. It was brown, now it's green. You know, as people, we get focused on the situation that is at hand. I tell you, the grass is going to turn brown again, the dirt is going to blow. Our circumstances are going to change, but God is not going to change. Our emotions, our feelings, our circumstances change, but God is still the same God. No matter what season in life we are, no matter what season of the year it is, God is still God. And we must not change our values and standards or our view on Scripture and God based on the moral compass of the politicians or the culture around us. You know, politicians use personal or popular opinion. They want to stay in power. They want to be voted in the next election cycle. So what they promote and what you'll see promoted in our culture will be the things that will get them elected again. God's values do not change based on popular opinion. I would say it was probably popular, and we see evident, it was popular to bow down to this idol. 
because it was a threat of death if they didn't. And everybody bowed down. But yet, God delivered those that did not. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 13 through 14 says, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ. If our time is spent listening to the, pers- the persuasive words of man, we can be convinced that some of the things that go against God's Word are very appealing, and they make sense, and they're compassionate. But they're not true. We must be grounded in God's Word if we're not going to be tossed about as the waves of the sea. Homosexuality, fornication, abortion, idolatry, perversions against nature in many forms. These are all things that the world promotes and will have a sad sob story and will try to convince you that this makes sense. And if you're against this, you have no compassion. We need to know what the Bible says. And we need to stay true to God. Because in the end, God is all that matters. Another uh, thing I would like to point out about this story, and it's one that we find in the New Testament. And if we follow God, we are going to suffer persecution. And that persecution takes on many diff- different forms. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. And remember, the Apostle Paul is trying to encourage Timothy. He's trying to help him so that he can endure and that he can be a faithful servant of God. But what does he ta- tell him? Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now, Christ told us that the truth sets us free. If God would have told us, you will not suffer persecution, and then we do, we would have found Him a liar, and we would, our faith would be weakened. But He tells us straightforward, we will suffer persecution. Be ready for it. But what you endure pales in comparison to what you have in eternity if you are faithful. I, mind, I remind you of Christ Jesus, that He exhibited the fullness of God's glory in His love and grace and truth as He lived upon the earth, exemplifying God. John chapter 1, verse 14 says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What did they do to Christ? Was He elevated, was put on a pedestal, and, and became the ruler on this earth? No, He was beaten. He was spat upon. He was scourged. He was gone through a mock trial. And He was finally crucified, killed in the most debased way the Roman government knew how. That's what they did to Jesus Christ. That's what they did to the Son of God. John chapter 15, verse 8. If the world hates you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. So He's telling His disciples and us in turn... Even before He went to the cross, it hates me. Don't, don't have any um, false ideas. It's going to hate you as well. If you were of the world, the world would love His own. 
But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Misery loves company. Satan loves company. He wants to take as many people as he can with him to that lake of fire and brimstone that Brother Van talked about this morning. If the world loves us, that's when we need to be on alert. We need to ask ourselves, are we doing what God has commanded us to do? People don't want to be faced with the truth. I don't want to be confronted and told that I'm wrong. Nobody does. But God's Word helps us in doing that. It helps to correct us and lead us back on that path that ends up in heaven. When people are faced with the truth, they have two options. They respond as they should, or they lash out. They turn away, they harden their heart, and they say, no, I'm not going to allow it. I remind you of the stoning of Stephen, the beatings of Paul, the crucifixion of Christ. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 12 says, Let a bear robbed of her whelps meet a man rather than a fool in his folly. We don't want to be told we're wrong. But we need that when we're wrong against God's Word. While most people on the, in the world, just as Van talked about, that broad road that leads to destruction, most people will willingly follow that road that leads to destruction. Those with a good and honest heart will not. They will find that narrow way that leads to life everlasting. Remind you of the Apostle Paul when he was Saul of Tarsus. He went completely against Christ. But when he was presented with the truth of the gospel, he turned. He made a 180 and he became a soldier of the cross. Remember those 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. Many there were there at the crucifixion of Christ and doubtless were saying, crucify Him, crucify Him. But yet they became Christians in the Lord's church. Mark chapter 4 and verse 20. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundredfold. We still need to preach the truth. We need to do it in love, in sincerity, but it still needs to be the truth. Not watered down, not a quasi-truth, but the truth of God. I remind you that the sower's job is to sow. It's not to farm. It's not to pick out which ground's the best and what seed is going to go best in that ground, but the sower's job is to sow. To sow the Word. Sow it on the, the rocky path. Sow it among the thorns. Sow it on the good ground. We don't know the hearts and minds of men and women. We can't see into their heart as Christ could. We don't know if their heart is fertile soil. We don't know at what time in their life it may be fertile soil. We don't know at what time that seed that's planted one year, decades later, may fruit. And God gives an abundant increase in that life. It's our job to sow. The next point I'd like to make is that we must be clothed in righteousness if, or we will not be saved. As Brother Van taught this morning, the only way into heaven for the person that has reached the age of accountability is through contacting the blood of Christ in obedience to the gospel. 
Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with jewels. No other parts in Isaiah, he says that our righteousness is as filthy rags to God. There's nothing of our own that we can bring to God and He esteem us righteous. But when God clothes us with righteousness through obedience to the gospel, through contacting the blood of Christ, our righteousness uh, outweighs anything, any sin that we have partaken in. I'd like to point out that nothing physical saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. No person, no trick they knew. It was God that saved him. Why did he save him? If they had bowed to that image, do you think God would have saved them? If Noah hadn't built the ark, built the ark would God have saved them? him? God saved them because they were clothed in the righteousness of God through faithful obedience. Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not, he will be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Something that jumps out at me reading through this story and reading about these men, their humility. They knew they served the living God, the powerful God, the God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the sustainer of life. But how did they interact with the king? They were very humble. They knew their place. They knew it wasn't their job to, to shout at him, to belittle him, to, to disgrace him. He said, we're not going to do it. We serve the living God. If you want to kill us, kill us. God can save us, but even if he doesn't, so be it. We're going to serve God. We need to have that same humility. We need to be clothed in that righteousness. And that will affect greater change in people's lives than any amount of debate or any amount of uh, locking horns with somebody ever will. So how are we clothed in that righteousness today? By submitting to the, in faith to the operation of God. Again, it's nothing physical that saves us. It's not the water that somehow washes us clean, but it's by faithful obedience to the operation and allowing God to operate on our souls. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12, Buried with Him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised Him from the dead. We're showing that our faith is in the one that rose Christ from the dead. And that's where we are going to get our righteousness and our salvation. Romans chapter 6 verse 16, Know ye not that to whom ye have yielded yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness, but God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. Again, nothing physical saves us. 
but it's the power of God through obedience to the gospel. And finally tonight, Jesus will deliver the faithful from, just, from judgment. Now, three men were presented with a false doctrine of salvation in this story. They were told, bow to this idol and you will live. They said, no, if we bow to that idol, we will die spiritually. We may live physically for a time, but we will die spiritually. They had an eternal perspective. That's the perspective we all have to have if we are going to remain faithful to God. Life is going to take everything from us. And if we allow it to, it will take our salvation, our eternity from us. But we cannot allow that to happen. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 says, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works, and then I will profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. God wants more than just lip service. God wants our whole heart. He wants faithful obedience from us. If we follow God, there's no reason for us to fear man. And I believe that's the, the mindset that these young men had. Why are we going to fear you? We've got God on our side. We've got eternity to look forward to. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 13. I'd like to read verse 5 and then verse 6. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. I think this verse ties into 1 Timothy 6, 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Many times I think it's the, the things of this world, the, the things that we amass to our name, that are our worst, our greatest detriment. Because we don't want to lose that. And we know if we lose this life, we're going to lose those things. That bank account, those toys, that whatever it is. We need to be content with what things we have. Because we're not going to take any of the worldly things with us when we pass from this life. I know you've heard it said many times, you don't see a U-Haul going to a cemetery. The only thing we can take is our soul and those that we love, the souls of the ones we love. We need to be evangelistic. And we need to be telling others about the fact that don't put your trust in this world, but put your trust in God. And when you do that, you don't have to fear. They can take everything you have, but they cannot take your eternity. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt in the second death. He says, you'll be in prison for a time. Ten days. What's ten days compared to eternity? We have to have that eternal mindset if we're going to be able to endure Finally, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed, 
For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Hold fast the form of sound doctrine which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Those things, those persecutions that Paul endured were referenced this morning. He endured so much. And he said, I count them as loss. Because what I have to look forward to far outweighs the, anything that I had to endure. Tonight I hope you realize through a study of this story that we serve a great God. A powerful God. A God that is able, willing, and ready to save each one of us. It's up to us to submit to Him. We're going to be faced with trials. We're going to be faced with uh, persecutions. We're not going to be popular. People are going to, want, going to want to silence the truth because the truth convicts them. The truth makes them think that, hey, I need to change or I am looking forward to eternity separated from anything good. But we need to stand firm. We need to remember that people's values change, but God's and His Word does not. We need to remember that we will suffer persecution, and don't let that persecution deter us from the goal that is heaven. We need to remember that we must be clothed in righteousness to be saved, and we must remain faithful unto death. And if we do that, we have eternity to look forward to. I hope you've enjoyed the lesson of the evening. The lesson is yours tonight. If there's one here that wants to put on, wants to be clothed in righteousness, wants to put on Christ in baptism, contacting His blood, sleeping the best night of sleep you've ever had, knowing that your sins are washed away, that there's nothing that stands between you and eternity in heaven. If there's one that desires to put on Christ in baptism or one that desires the prayers of the church, please come forward as we stand and sing the song of invitation.